0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're excited to jump into today's topic, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the 4040 Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Osama Dehoud. What's up, man? How are you?
1: Hey, how's it going? It's
0: going well. So on today's episode, we are going to be discussing one of the hot topics in the NBA these days, and that is the new CBA, which has been leaking out piece by piece. So we're going to discuss some of the main issues and, and things that have come out about it. And we're going to try to put it in a little bit of a historical context with the uh, lockouts and previous CBA discussions in 1999 and 2011. So we'll, we'll start with the lockouts in 99 and 2011. Do you remember what those were about and what some of the impacts were of, uh, of the lockouts? We'll start with 99.
1: Well, I'm going to date myself a little uh, in a, maybe a, a slightly younger way. I was like in middle school during the 99 lockout. So I remember the season. I don't remember it starting late. Like I remember the 98 season punctuating with Jordan's shot over Byron Russell. By the way, still the most watched NBA game of all time. They still haven't been able to produce something as uh, captivating as that, I guess, for good reason. Nothing else is on <laughs> TV. Yeah, baby. They didn't, have, they didn't have Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> 1999. Um, so there's the, the. I didn't remember remember the season starting so late. It was a 200-day lockout. Uh, so it was like a 50-some game season. So I only remember mm-hmm. the season itself with, with San Antonio winning, but I don't remember the actual. But the details are essentially like a dis- dispute over the salary cap. They couldn't agree with the Players Association and the owners on a salary cap structure, they wanted a hard cap, the players' union wanted more of a soft cap. So the revenue share was a big issue. The league wanted more revenue share. The players' union wanted more equitable distribution. Uh, and some of that too was like guaranteed uh, contracts for the, the minimum. So the minimum was kind of stuck around 200,000, no matter how long you played in the league, uh, going into the 99 season. Um, I think after that, what they did was the with the new CBA, they did include the soft cap. Uh, they did increase revenue sharing uh, and they ma- maintained guaranteed contracts uh, and they increased the, the minimum uh, salary as well It started to go up after five or six years in the league. So people that were awarded uh, for staying in the league, even if they were on minimums, they started making half a million dollars up uh, and that continued to go up throughout the two thousands. It was a positive result for the players association because the eighty eight and ninety five lockouts were so bad the owners got such a lopsided um uh, agreement over the players and it was the contracts were too long and and minimums were really bad so uh this one was kind of the first first of a win for the league going into the post jordan era for the players
0: yeah and I think you mentioned it, but this is one of the longer lockouts, there was a couple other ones that lasted like a couple months before the season. I think that was 95, right? And one that lasted a couple hours, which is funny that it's even mentioned. Uh, but this one shortened the season by 32 games, canceled the All-Star game, all that stuff. So it had a significant impact on the NBA and, and uh, the schedule and that stuff. Um, so for the 2011 lockout, you mentioned that the 99 one was was a victory for... I guess it was kind of a victory for the owners, but it was a kind of a rising tide lifts all boats moment, because the cap, the uh, guarantee contracts were a little adjusted, but there was more money in that for this for the league minimum and things like that. So the 2011 one, it was similar in that it shortened the season instead of 50 games, it shortened it to 66 games. So obviously it was quite heated. But what what about the 2011 uh, lockout was a little bit different than
1: 99? It was more about uh, capital losses, like the NBA lost a lot of money before that lockout. The salary cap dropped. Team had less money for players and coaches and, and other stuff. Uh, and that's because 22 out of the 30 teams were losing money. Uh, the, you know, the NBA isn't like baseball where you can keep the money you make. It's, it's put into that league fund, that revenue share. And the league needed to op- continue to operate more like a business, reevaluate their model, try to appeal to more people because um, other mar- so- markets like, you know, soccer um, had figured out how to do that with merchandise, ticket sales, promotion. So it was it was a fundamental business issue. So you know, capital gains, rev share, salary cap, uh, you know, small market versus big market. You had like your Lakers and Bulls and Heat dominated they had these huge fan bases uh they were able to go over the luxury tax it was just a there was no parity between small market and big market there wasn't a level playing field trades and salary dumps were an issue contracts a huge issue when they signed contracts um that that, some of those used to kill teams for years um so they were trying to eliminate guaranteed contracts that was a dispute uh, as well but what they ended up doing Uh, In in when they agreed uh, from in that 2011 lockout, uh, they had a more restrictive salary cap structure, shorter player contracts. They kind of reduced player salaries a little bit, which is funny in hindsight Mm -hmm. after kind of the 2016 uh, salary cap and TV deal. right? (laughs) So uh, even though they were reduced, I did into paving the way for what the league is now.
0: Yeah. So we, we've we set the stage. So we talked about the past two, you know, major CBA negotiations and the lockouts and that sort of thing. So I think we can pivot a little bit to what we're talking about this year. So there was, I wouldn't say a real threat of a lockout looming. I think there's a lot of money at stake. And I think a lot of the players and of course the owners realize what's at stake with a potential new team in Vegas with a new TV deal coming up, I believe in 24, 25. So I think it, it was in the best interest of all the parties to come to the table and agree to some things. So what we'll do in this segment is we'll talk about some of the major topics that have come out or major changes that have come out in this uh, CBA. Which from the initial view of it, from the initial reaction, if you listen to guys like Draymond on his podcast and some of the I would say, overwhelming sentiment on Twitter is that the players lost. So I don't know how you feel about that, but we can go through each one and we can talk about the impact on, on each of the players or not each of the players, but all the players and the owners and such. So the one that I want to start with is an actually an idea that you had. I don't know if it was an original idea, but we talked about it during our all-star pod and it is the inclusion of an in-season tournament for the NBA. think of it as kind of a uh, champions league in the NBA. So the details are basically uh, the first round of the tourney is going to be part of the regular season schedule. The top eight teams advance to a single elimination event in December, so it's kind of like a March Madness-type deal. And then the Final Four will be played at a neutral location, probably like Las Vegas, some, maybe somewhere without an NBA team, maybe one of the bigger stadiums, just like Final Four. They play it in Houston at Energy Stadium. Um, and then the it, the teams are expected to play – 80 regular season games instead of 82. And it could eventually be that the two teams uh, and the two final teams play 83 games instead of 82. And these games, of course, count towards the regular season standings. I'm not quite sure how they're going to figure that out. But, and also the prize money for the in-season tournament if you win is 500,000 per player, which is not all that much for most of these guys. But so do you think the NBA stole your idea? But I mean, if they did, what do you think about it?
1: It's funny. I I did pick. I think eight teams. I think was my original idea, was to kind of consolidate it. And I think this is yeah, kind and of a safe. Yeah, I was saying. I was saying we should do a, a losers bracket too. But yeah, eight teams works. <laughs> yeah, and well, they played it safe. So the the prize isn't that high. They didn't uh, reduce the number of games at all. Uh, they also didn't add a bunch of games either. So it's it was a safe bet where they kind of made it a part of the season they made it uh, kind of an easy way to to make it a part of the season without getting rid of all-star weekend or anything like that it just kind of becomes a part of the schedule kind of like what soccer does where you have middle of the week tournaments like in uh, the premier league you have like your fa cup and then your premier league games on the weekend so they're kind of doing it like that so the couple of games that aren't played out of 82, the two games, I think, for other teams just get rescheduled, like if for the teams that advance and don't advance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's fine. I think it's it's obviously they don't know what the opportunity is exactly. So they're tr- introducing it this way with low incentive. They're not changing the schedule significantly. Uh, it, it, it's an... Uh, Kind of an A-B test. They're kind of testing the waters to see how much revenue can this generate. Because I think there is a way to grow the game if you can add stakes to the regular season. And this is, again, I I think it's just safe. Uh, There's no interest in it now because it's never happened before. It's never been done. So if you don't care, I understand. Uh, But hopefully they execute it right and give fans more of a reason to care.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if I like it. I think my my initial reaction like to most things. So when we talked about it on the All-Star pod, I was all for it because my thought was it's going to be mid-season, you know, maybe it's in January instead of February. I don't know if they want to compete with the NFL playoffs, but I thought it would be a legitimate mid-season tournament and as a result, they would just reduce the number of regular season games. Because I think the issue that the NBA is having is that I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but it's like there's almost too much basketball. It's not like the NFL where, if you go from sixteen to seventeen games, it's a you know that's a that's a big increase because there's such a such a small amount available in the first place. But even then, people are like, there's a little bit of pushback. They're like, oh, the regular season's too long in the NFL. You know, it's pushing into March. We're getting like, you know, teams that don't deserve it making it into the playoffs. Getting a lot of like nine and eight below five hundred teams making it. So. I think the, NFL, the NBA, the way to make the regular season more valuable and more attractive and reduce all this crap with load management and fans getting mad at, you know, Steph Curry not shooting up on a road trip or whatever is to reduce the number of games. So do you think that eventually they reduce the number of regular season games based on how much interest is in this tournament or is this just going to be the baseline?
1: Yeah, that's what I was I was gonna say. I, I think that this is the first incarnation of this. You wanna see if it works, if it's exciting first, and then if it is, you can expand it like they have with the World Cup, right? I'm using that as an example because it's an exciting Great tournament example, yeah. where they expanded it. And, you know, the next World Cup is going to be like over 50 teams or something like that. So I think it's 48. So from 32 <laughs> to 48. Yeah, it's it's a lot. So, But because the I mean, for the World Cup, they're going to bring, try to bring China and India into it, right? You just have these massive markets yep, yep. that don't, never play in the World Cup. So I think that this is the first incarnation of it ideally i would have liked to see less games as well uh but it's again low risk um the reward there's a huge ceiling for this if they pull it off
0: so you think that the the final of this tournament whatever you want to call it i think you called it the uh would you call it on the the all-star pod the gauntlet the gauntlet, yeah, okay. Uh, so maybe it's called the David Stern Invitational, which I, I don't know if he would be a
1: fan of this Uh <laughs> The David idea. Stern? It shouldn't be called the David Stern Invitational. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be something catchy. I don't maybe the Adam, Adam Silver, Adam <laughs> Silver.
0: Yeah, the Adam Silver Invitational, but I mean, he's still the commissioner, so I don't know if he wants to take uh, all the credit. Uh, but yeah, maybe it's like a posthumous award for David Stern or the trophies. Maybe the trophy is going to be named after David Stern because, you know, anyway... So you think this is going to be it's going to get ratings similar to, you know, the Final Four or the Super Bowl, something like that?
1: That's hard. I mean, the Super Bowl, if you think about the most watched sporting events throughout the calendar year, the most watched in the U.S. is the Super Bowl. The next most watched is like the AFC, AFC, NFC championship. The next most watched is the NFL divisional round. So that's really hard to get to. I mean, the NBA hasn't had, again, they haven't been able to top Jordan's last game in a Bulls jersey. The next closest game, I think, was like Warriors-Cavs 2017 or something, the Kevin Durant first year. So they've had a hard time replicating eyeballs I'm blaming a little bit of it on that 99 lockout post Jordan era where the CBA you had no no basketball for for many months at a time and it's kind of like doing a podcast or other things right like if you go away for so long there'll be a drop-off of some kind so that's where I think the league is still trying to find that and look this is just one way to add excitement when you add stakes like a single elimination tournament uh, there's opportunity. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for this thing.
0: Yeah, and I think the concern is because it's a one, one-off tournament, single elimination, I think you could end up with some real duds in the finals. I mean, if you tell me it's going to be Bucks-Lakers, you can slap LeBron's face on a billboard in Times Square and just be LeBron versus Giannis for all the marbles in the David Stern Invitational. But there is also a situation where, similar to like the NCAA, where it could have been you know Miami against San Diego State. Like nobody really cares about that. It could be, you know, the Brooklyn Nets against the Utah Jazz in the final for the David Stern Invitational, and nobody really cares because there's no narratives. So I, I appreciate the uh, the creativity. I like that they're taking risks. But my initial, I'll definitely watch it. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I'm not going to watch it because just like the playing tournament, I will 100 percent watch it. I just, uh, my initial thought is like, eh, I don't think it's a big deal.
1: It's, it's nice to, to take risks and try new ideas. You know, the NBA, uh, was, when, when did they get rid of hand checking and illegal defense? Maybe like in the 2000s, early 2000s, they got rid of that. And it really changed the league, right? When like, just defenses yeah, were different, you didn't see all that zone crap um every single game it was just it it changed defense it made way for the seven second suns and the the small ball uh Warriors and Miami Heat so this is a great look at baseball there's a pitch clock and there's you know it's you try have to try and continue to reinvent yourself uh you know the NFL added uh the in overtime you get another shot right if uh the, the other team scores first you're not out of it yet so I think it's good to keep Trying things. If it doesn't work, figure it out later. But I think it's 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 great. I think it's great that the league is self aware that like, look, we we have more room for growth.
0: Okay, so we'll put a pin in this one. We'll we'll talk about it in two years, and we'll we'll see if it's a success <laughs> or not. Because this right. one, obviously, you gotta you gotta see the the long term results. Because right now, like, the play in has been a good great success. There's been some classic games. There's been a couple duds, obviously, with like the nine ten matchups and things like that. But there's some good stuff happening, so we'll we'll come back to this. Sure. So the the next topic, I'm looking at it and I hate it. Just thought right off the board, and that is the the second tax apron. So that's that's what it's called. So basically, the teams. So the NBA or the new CBA, the NBA is going to implement what they call a second tax apron that will be 17.5 million dollars above the tax line, and teams above that second apron will face like. It's an insane set of restrictions. It's, straight up, it's like economic fascism on these, uh, these big spender NBA teams. But they won't have access to the following. They won't have access to the taxpayer mid-level exception. They won't, ha- they won't be able to trade away first-round picks seven years down the road. Won't be able to sign buyout players. They won't be able to send out cash in trades, which is a very common thing in the NBA. They do cash considerations for a player. They won't be able to take back more salary in a trade than they send out and i mean supposedly we're going to be eased into these changes but regardless of how long it takes for these to take into effect i think some of them they can just you know go into effect next year maybe they give teams another season to recalibrate their salary caps but i hate it (laughs) i just straight up hate it like I I it, I think you're punishing success. You're punishing teams for spending. For you're punishing owners for spending, and you're rewarding teams for not spending. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think here here's an example. Right, this rule would have kept the Bucks from signing Joe Ingles, the Celtics from signing Danilo Gallinari, the Warriors from signing Dante Divincenzo, the Clippers from signing John Wall. So, yes, it's gonna, I, I think that just looking at that, if you're fans of those teams, you're like, well, those players are very impactful this year. What do you mean we wouldn't have been able to sign them? So, I don't like that. You know, it, the, I guess the idea is to help lower and middle spending teams across the league have a better chance of adding more talent to their teams in free agency. But I think, like you said, if you're willing to spend and you're a big market team, that's good for the league. We love dynasties as a as a country. As sports fans, we love dynasties. And if I ran the NBA, I would want the Knicks and the Warriors and uh, all the the Lakers, all the big market teams, to win the championship every year. Or if I own the NFL, I would want the Cowboys to win every year. Even though that's not hasn't been possible for them, the idea is that the big market teams. Uh, make it work it's cool once in a while to have your Milwaukee Bucks or your Oklahoma City or you know to go to the Premier League like your Leicester City find a way to make it work but I want Liverpool winning every year I don't want <laughs> Leicester City winning uh, three times in a row or, or anything like that so I think that this is uh yeah I, I'm not not a fan of it either it's it's rewarding frugal owners um or and yeah that's uh, that's my thing is if you aren't willing to spend it who's who's whose fault is that other than yours exactly like i'm
0: not going to feel bad for a billionaire basically who doesn't want to spend on his team as a fan of, of the oakland days you know i, I live through that or suffer through that every year where the guy has a ton of money and he's just refusing to spend it and he's rather just collect the check and i think what this also does is I think it creates a new problem, not a new problem, but it exacerbates a problem that the NBA is currently having. And I think that is the uh, increase in player movement. So if you're going to be limiting the spending for these teams, I mean, you look at the Warriors and the reason why they're so compelling or one of the reasons why they're so compelling is because it's the same guys it's the same faces it's the same names it's like a tv show right it's like friends ran for 20 years and it was the same cast and you're able to get to know these people and there's narratives and you watch them grow and develop and then what they're doing by do by adding this is that they're going to increase the number of stars moving across the league which i and personally i think is already an, a, a problem because guys are getting fed up with their situation really early and they're leaving and I think it's, it creates like a flux in the NBA where guys, especially the casual fans don't know who's, who's who and who's on what team and where, who's this, where's this guy playing and things like that. And it also, I think we've talked about this a few times It it really punishes teams, not just for success, but for homegrown success. You know, if you're the Warriors, you draft and develop three hall of famers. If you're a team like OKC, who drafted and uh, developed three future MVPs, Under this rule, I mean, they ended up not keeping these guys, but under this rule, they wouldn't be able to keep them, essentially. So, I don't know, what do you think about that aspect of it? I I think that's a different angle that I think most people are talking about is the player movement aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, It sounds like the only players that teams will be able to keep are stars um, because there's another element of the CBA with contract extensions that are changing. The limit now is 120%. It's going to go up to 140 percent with the new CBA. So, Jalen Brown, for example, if he signed a four-year extension now, he'd get 165 million. With the new 140 percent rule, he could make a four-year max of 189 million dollars. Uh, so. That's kind of like what soccer does. like every other year you see you would see Barcelona extend Lionel Messi to have the highest contract uh, in the world and then Real Madrid would you know in a petty way give Ronaldo an extension to make him the highest paid. So you can continue to leverage contract extensions to keep your best players as long as you can make them happy. But these like middling players like a Di Vincenzo, a Gallinari, these kind of glue guys that you need, This is the 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 problematic portion of it you just i think it'll continue to be an issue uh with 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 this complication
0: yeah and it doesn't doesn't reward success it doesn't allow us to build narratives and it's yeah it's going to cause a lot more movement and i mean you say middling guys but these are guys that can swing titles you know i think these role players they play a role for a reason they show out and they do their thing And obviously the stars are the ones that ultimately win the titles, but these glue guys and and middle of the road type guys can really, can help decide titles for sure. So I think we both agree, not, not a big fan, not fans of this, especially as fans of probably the biggest spenders in the NBA and the Warriors, and they weren't for a long time. So we've been on both sides of this. We know both sides of the coin and we understand that, You know, it can be tough being a quote unquote small market team, though I won't shed any tears for a billionaire owner, regardless of if they're in Oklahoma City or Portland or whatever they are. So I think we're both not fans of this. Uh, The next one, I've seen some split opinions on this, but I'll let you have a a crack at it, but it's the uh, awards. So there's two aspects of this. The first thing is that there is a Players will need to appear in a minimum of 65 games to be eligible to earn postseason awards such as the MVP, Rookie of the Year, All NBA, etc. Before I go into my spiel, what do you think of this?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, this is interesting because you know you, you've seen guys in the past win awards. I, the one that that comes to mind for me right away, homerism, is Kawhi Leonard winning in I think 2016. Uh, where Draymond Green had played every game or almost every game and Kawhi Leonard played, I don't know, he missed like 25 games that season um, and won Defensive Player of the Year. It's like, well, he missed, you know, like 20% of the season. Like, why should he still win Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, So for MVP and things like that, I think it's good. I think if if guys want to win these awards, they feel incentivized to. um, I do like the idea of adding a minimum. Imagine if, like, you know... Jokic or Giannis missed, you know, 35 games, but they were still in the MVP race because they had a great first four months of the season.
0: I think this, I think it addresses a problem that wasn't really a problem. You know what I mean? I get what you're saying if they miss, you know, 30 games or whatever, but I think just even logically, I think a lot of voters are, not all of them, but I think most of them would kind of logically eliminate guys from most awards, if they are under, you know, 60, 55 games, something like that. I think my issue was is that it's it's too arbitrary, basically. So if you play 63 games, it's not okay. You play 64 games, it's not okay, but you play 65 and it's okay. Like, all of a sudden. I think another thing is we're going to see some, some shenanigans with uh, – you remember last year with Drew Holiday, the last game of the season, he just took the tip off or took the um, – Yeah, he did did the the tip and then checked out of the game, like did an intentional foul and checked out just so he could hit some kind of contract incentive. And everybody's like, oh, it's so cute. You know, the Bucks let it happen because that's a contract incentive that's between him and the team. But I think we might start seeing some of that. I know it's going to affect the guys like per game stats. You know, if you do that three, four times and you play technically, but you don't get any stats, then it's going to impact that. But I just, I I feel like it's, it's resolving an issue that wasn't really an issue. You know, I think maybe they put a range, but 65 games. I mean, you're missing 17 games. That's what, like five and a half, six weeks of the season. Like, that's a couple sprained ankles. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I understand that. I think that voters need to be mindful of shenanigans, as you called it. Like, remember, A.C. Green? where they would sub him in so that he would keep that streak of most games played and they'd sub him in and take him out. And that, that was bullshit. Um, so like, I think that people should be aware of those little things like that. I think, yes, if it's 60 instead of 65, there, there should be some sort of barometer for like, look, so-and-so was easily like the third best player this season. They shouldn't be ineligible for MVP voting. And
0: I think the bigger impact is on All-NBA. Because I get it, Uh, you know, if you don't think someone qualifies for first-team All-NBA because they only played 60 games, sure. But second-team, third-team, I think it was Bill Simmons today that brought up the example of Steph Curry. Like, he wouldn't technically be eligible for any of the All-NBA teams, but can you really look at the NBA this season and think this guy is not one of the six best guards in the NBA? He's not one of the five or three to five most important players to his team in the nba and i think that that's the issue and the fact that that's tied into their contracts because all nba has the impact on the max and the Supermax and things like that so i think mvp sure that's a one-off you know rookie of the year nobody really cares most improved player all that stuff doesn't really matter but i think when it affects the money is where i have the issue you know what i'm saying
1: yeah i think I think there are this is going to come up like this is definitely there's going to be a big deal and everyone's going to hate it. Uh, There's going to be like a glaring omission of some kind, and this is going to get a lot of scrutiny and it'll be revisited in the next CBA if if it becomes loud enough. Yeah,
0: so we can again put a pin in that one, see where that goes. But as of now, I'm going to cast my vote in the no box, the
1: nay (laughs) box for this one. Uh, it sounds like you're okay with it. It's fine. It's like you said, no one was asking for it. I'm sure that there was, there was an enough noise from someone, oh, Daryl Morey probably or something, <laughs> to, uh, to bring this about. Yeah. If okay. it becomes an issue, it'll be revisited. It's it's fine. It doesn't change the league significantly. So. No, no, it doesn't. Okay. And then the, the second aspect uh, of the
0: awards is the fact that the three All-NBA teams, so not only will they have to be have to play a minimum 65 games, but the All-NBA teams will now be positionless. So as of now, it's two guards, two forwards, and a center, which has led to some really funny inclusions. Like DeAndre Jordan, I think, was first team All-NBA at some point in his career. Uh, but now it's going to be completely positionless. So again, I'll let you get first crack about, uh, at this one.
1: Yeah, that was 2016. It was like first team All of NBA: Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and LeBron James and uh, Kawhi Leonard, and then DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> it was it was a very bleak
0: time for centers. Like now, there's more centers than you know what to do with. But back then, it was a pretty pretty dark time for the position.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think it, this depends on how much you care about the the outlook of All NBA aside from like omissions more so if you think all nba should look somewhat like an actual basketball team you'd put on the court deandre jordan's aside um like if you're going to have four guards uh because four guards were really good this year and that's who voters want that's pretty problematic right like it's like hey I i liked steph curry and i liked damian lillard and i liked uh, John Morant and Jaron Fox like is that gonna be first team all NBA that's the weird part
0: I, I I can totally agree with that and I think maybe a better solution is just do it like the all-star game just front court back court. I think that's way easier to stomach because especially the the two guards two forwards thing there's a lot of guys that you know, do they? Are they? Is it? Are they a small forward? Are they a shooting guard? Like Jalen Brown is like a, a prime example of that. Maybe like Andrew Wiggins. Like depending on the lineup, he's the two guard or the three. So maybe we just do front court, back court because it could lead to some weird stuff, like you said, where you have four guards and a power forward or something at the first team All NBA. Uh, I think it was again Bill Simmons or Ryan Rosilla who brought up a suggestion of it just being like the 15 best players. Period. There's no first, second, third. It's just, here's the 15 best. Maybe they're even ranked 1 to 15, which would be really cool. I think it would lead to some fun arguments there. But I think, do you know if there's a difference in pay if you're third or second or first team All-NBA, or is it all the same, basically just All-NBA is one, one bucket?
1: I think it's based on your contract. Uh, if Was it Anthony Davis who missed out because he got injured and he missed too many games, and all he had to do was be on any All-NBA to get a bonus and he didn't make any, he like barely missed out and he lost on like a nice, you know, chunk of change, uh, for, for making an all NBA bonus. So I guess it depends on the player. It makes sense for it to be any all team NBA, just because you never know. Like look at Steph Curry this year, 55 or so games he might make third team all NBA, So maybe that's a more fair way to like, if I was someone's agent, I wouldn't negotiate first team all NBA only. Right, like Mm -hmm. don't do a Ricky Williams thing where it's crazy incentive heavy, and you can make it kind of blanket. If you make all first team All NBA, maybe you add that as a kicker. I don't know. I don't know how flexible these contracts get, Mm -hmm. but it makes sense for it to be just make all team NBA.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's it's if you make any of those because it's it's a pretty prestigious thing. I think the only time it really comes up, whether you're first or second or third, is when people decide like who's a better player all time or maybe your hall of fame resume, but they let anybody into the hall of fame. So I don't think they really nitpick maybe the top 75. I think they brought up like the fact that Dwight Howard made X amount of first team all NBAs, and he's the only one on, you know, that was left off the list that met that criteria, but he was also in that time where there was a, a real lack of, of depth and talent at the center position. So, and it's funny you bring up Anthony Davis, cause I'm sure he's looking at this like, damn, I'm never going to get on any awards. I'm never going to make all NBA again. Like 65 games is like, a, like climbing Mount Everest for that guy. So I'm sure he's not a fan of that. Uh, so the, the next one we'll talk about is some changes to the cap. Uh, this is a little more technical financial stuff, but basically the, will the, the biggest thing that I see from this is that the will, there will be no more than a 10% increase per league year in the salary cap to avoid what we saw you said you mentioned in 2016 that big cap spike where it went up by 32 percent so there's cap smoothing so i think we're in agreement that that that's that makes sense
1: yeah definitely i think that the value of the league is going to continue to go up uh the new tv deal that comes out will, will help it, it'll it'll continue to go up so I, I think it's fine
0: yeah and then there's an increase to the uh, value of the mid-level exception Uh, luxury tax brackets are going to be, uh, they used to be at 5 million above the tax line. Now they're going to increase at the same rate as the salary cap. So just, I don't think that's a big deal at all. It just kind of goes up as the cap goes up. Uh, And the cool thing is that for the second uh, second round players or second round selections is that there's a new cap exception. So if you're drafted in the second round, teams no longer need to use cap room or the mid-level exception to give second round rookies, Salaries worth more than the rookie minimum, or deals longer than two years. So if you hit on a diamond in the rough in the second round, you can pay them accordingly. So they don't, you know, jump ship in a couple of years. So I don't know. I don't think there's any debate there. It's just kind of is what it is. Yeah, it's good. All right. Uh, and then there's a couple stuff in the draft. Nothing crazy there. You're gonna do some physical evaluations, and the one and done rule has still not changed. How do you feel about with the one and done rule?
1: Yeah, the one and one in general I think more so affects college basketball than it does the NBA. Um, just because you don't see like look at the the women's national championship that just happened where, you know, Kaitlin Clark was in last year's tournament and she's in this year's tournament and you continue to see the same players now in in men's college basketball, most guys You might see him for a little bit. They play in a couple games and then their team gets eliminated and you look forward to seeing him in the league, Uh, but it doesn't do much for college basketball. It's a fresh face every year. There isn't a face of college basketball. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just becoming a, a mandatory thing. Like you have to go here before you go to the league. So it's fine. I think maybe what they wanted to do was give more of a choice versus let this be the farm system. It's it's not with nil now. It's not as big of a deal, so I guess it doesn't really make it a bottleneck for guys to make it to the league. It did. It, it's it's mm-hmm. fine. On the women's side, it's still three years. They're still like stuck in the
0: Stone Age NFL style where <laughs> you have to play college ball for for three years, or maybe it's, it may, might even be four. Like Caitlin Clark is a junior and she still has to play one more year, in in. Uh, in college before but again with nil it's not a big deal because i'm sure she's cleaning up she'll do a million endorsements this summer and you know make plenty of money so i'm, I'm not really tripping about that and the same thing on the nba side even the one and done rule you can play in the g league you can go overseas or you can play in college and make a shit ton of money on instagram doing stuff and doing tiktoks or whatever it is that yeah. kids do these yeah. days um, uh, my favorite example of that, it's not even an NBA player, but it's this LSU gymnast who apparently is make going to be making, you know, eight to $10 million a year just because she looks good in a leotard. So good for her. Uh,
1: hey, get, get it how you can. It's no, exactly wrong yeah. with any of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're 100% pro NIL on this podcast for sure. Uh, and then there's some miscellaneous stuff, which is kind of funny. Uh, players will no longer be tested for marijuana use. I didn't even know that was still a thing. Yeah. I thought it was just the hard stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I also assumed that I think they were already pretty light on it anyway. I think they just made it a formal announcement that it's not a thing anymore.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard of anybody being suspended for that. So maybe some, was it OJ Mayo or is he on some other stuff or maybe, uh, was it um, Tyreek Evans too?
1: I, yeah, I'm one of those guys. The only person that comes up for me is poor Josh Gordon, uh, but <laughs> in, in yeah, the NFL, yeah. but NBA, nothing, nothing comes to mind for me.
0: Yeah, he got he got railroaded by the NFL. Um, this one was kind of cool. Is that the players will be allowed to invest in NBA and WNBA franchises via a private equity firm? I think that's pretty cool, especially on the WNBA side. I think that's a good way for the the game to grow on the women's side. Uh,
1: yeah i imagine they'll just have like an audit or something like that to make sure that there's no uh convolution or conflict of interest so uh i think this is great i think it's just another way to um have equity sharing amongst players uh it's it's cool and sports betting is going to continue to be a big thing as more states acquire sports betting so uh it's great it's i think it's a it's a very capitalistic addition to the cba Mm -hmm. yeah and that's in reference
0: to players being allowed to promote or invest in companies involved with sports betting and cannabis so any but any involvement with sports betting companies will require what the NBA calls complete separation from the gambling component which is kind of funny it's like isn't sports betting gambling but I don't I don't know if I understand the distinction there
1: I think you just have equity in the company versus you know uh, bet it. You're not allowed to, you're, it's not like a Calvin Ridley situation, basically, where even if it was just $1,800 or whatever it was he bet, uh, th- this is more so. That's why I mentioned the audit part. They'll audit that the, the yeah, funds uh, are coming from the company, not from anything else. Got it. So it won't be like LeBron
0: throwing up a, an extra uh, a shot just to get a rebound because he's got himself on his uh, – like the fan duel his, He's got himself over. on his daily fantasy team or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, or the the over-under was, you know, 17, 17 attempted shots or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm, I mean, I'm sure LeBron and guys like that can hit a single-game parlay. Just do their thing. Yeah, take the
1: over on all my stats. <laughs> and I'll just so you'd a be creating – 400 tim Donahues, if that was the case <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine
0: i mean that's like the nightmare scenario if like lebron's like i'm gonna take the under on uh, my shots and my rebounds and i'm gonna pull up with a, a fake i mean maybe not lebron because he's he's got plenty of money but a lot of middling guys maybe uh dante vincenzo pulls up with a hamstring injury <laughs> in, the, in the second quarter of a back-to-back and he's like well i guess i hit my under on mm-hmm. all my stats Uh, And then the last one here is that the team and league licensing revenue will be added to the NBA's basketball-related income for the first time. I think this is a bigger deal than it's made out to be here. This seems like almost like a footnote to this, but what what can you tell me about this, or do you know anything more about this?
1: So this is – so basketball-related income, from what I understand it, has always been a little above 50%, 60%. Um, So this is like – merchandise right value rev share between the players and the owners yeah so i mean it's good it's good that it's always kind of been there um i think that they're just continuing that relationship right the basketball related income's kind of always been a thing um, and they're just continuing that relationship yeah and it's increasing some of the revenue streams by
0: making it licensing and stuff and you know, this is where the, the lawyers come in and the auditors and all that, and they figure <laughs> out what's what. And But it seems like a, a rising tide lifts all boats. So of the ones that we listed, I think the clear winners for the in-season tournament are probably the owners because players are playing more, right? Or would you yep. say the players? Okay, yeah. So the owners won that one. I think the second tax apron, I would say a little over half of the owners won that one. I don't know how many teams do you consider small market? Is it like 10, 15 of the 30? Maybe somewhere like around there.
1: Yeah, I'd have to break it out, but there's definitely it's it's a more parity and there's more small market than big market teams.
0: Yeah, and I think the way billionaires stay billionaires is by being cheap. So
1: <laughs> the what I'm curious about long term though is how much more th- how loose that definition gets i mean kevin durant if it's more going to be player centric than market centric where kevin durant made oklahoma city a thing or Giannis has made milwaukee popular i wonder if that will continue to shift based on the quality of players that enter these markets
0: yeah and i I think they can definitely raise the profile but I, i think at the end of the day the owners are still the owners like we saw milwaukee cheap out on pj tucker we saw okc cheap out on james Harden. This was a long time ago but still the same idea like Milwaukee's still milwaukee OKC's still okc orlando still orlando et cetera. even if you know lebron himself goes to cleveland like they're or not cleveland but like if he goes to orlando or something it's still a smaller market team and they're they're hesitant to spend the money for whatever reason but again no tear shed for billionaires here uh So the owners, half of the owners, or a little over half, won that. And the Warriors and Clippers and a couple other, the repeat offenders, definitely lost that one. Uh, The awards, no winners. Maybe the players lose because some of these guys will miss out on some of the awards because they played 62 games instead of 63. And maybe the owners are happy because less guys will qualify or different guys will qualify for All-NBA. So maybe that impacts their bottom line. Uh, but well, it
1: seems like really. I like... wonder. Sorry, I, I wonder though if you're the owner of a team with several good players that makes All NBA. If it's crippling if three of them make All NBA just because of the positionless portion of it. you're like, damn, I got to give out like forty five million dollars in All NBA because they all qualified.
0: Well, now I think only you can only have two supermax deals on your team now. I think as a result of this tax apron, basically, but. I keep bringing up his name, but Jalen Brown is a prime example of somebody that his future is directly impacted by if he makes all NBA this year or not, because the Celtics can offer him a ton more money than anybody else. If he makes all NBA because of the bird rights, because of the way that his contract is structured, but if he doesn't make it, then he can go to, I don't know, whatever, wherever he's from, whatever team he wants to go to, and they can offer him pretty much the same as the Celtics. So there is some real financial impacts, but, I think we talked about let's put a pin in this one and see where we are in a couple of years, but I definitely think there's some major financial impact that that's going to come up here. So the other stuff, the draft stuff, miscellaneous stuff. I guess the miscellaneous stuff they won because they have more. Uh, the players won this one because they can won't be tested for weed anymore, which is nice, um, and they'll be able to invest and and make some money off uh, the NBA and the growing. Uh, WNBA and yeah, they'll be able to to shill for FanDuel or DraftKings or whatever you want to call it. So good for them. Uh, yeah, any final
1: thoughts? I actually have one more that I think is a win for both sides. Um, they actually also added uh, more two-way contract slots to rosters. Oh, that's so, right. I was,
0: yeah, I had that written. I, I forgot to mention that.
1: Yeah. So how how many do they have now? So they, I think they can they allow teams to carry two now, I think now they can have three. Because I know that Miami, for example, have had Max Struess and Duncan Robinson at the same time. So now you can have more of those. So it's a great way to uh, have guys sign an NBA contract to play for uh, their NBA team and the G League affiliate, uh, which is good. I mean, it's it's low cost for the owners and it's, it develops a couple of success stories like, your, like the Heat, um, Alex Caruso, Austin Reeves, another couple of good examples. Jose Alvarado, Lou Dort, even Anthony Lamb has had a decent season. He's been a good success story for the Warriors, who've been pretty injury mm-hmm. injury riddled. So I think it's good. I think it's a win win for both sides.
0: Yeah, it's like as close as you go, you'll get to the soccer loan system in the NBA. Uh, and I think uh, yeah, and our friend of a po- friend of the podcast, Trevor Hudgens, on the Houston Rockets slash Rio Grande Valley Vipers. He's on a current Trev. two-way deal. Yeah, our guy Trev two, on a two-way deal with the Rockets and the Vipers. He's made a handful of NBA appearances. Maybe he'll play a little bit more down the stretch here. But, yeah, I'm, I'm always a fan. I mean, I like it. Uh, yeah, that is definitely a win for the players. It's a win for the owners, too. Like you said, it's a low-cost alternative. It's a low-cost chance to develop some talent. It's a low-cost way to tank. As well, because you can just play these two way guys at the end of the year. Uh, so that works out for everybody. Uh, so that's it for the podcast. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate you guys checking us out. Uh, please make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to the 4040 Vision podcast everywhere you find podcasts. Make sure to leave us a review, you know, five stars if you can. And make sure to follow us on all social media platforms, especially Instagram and Twitter at 4040 Vision Pod. Thanks, Osama. Appreciate you, man.